on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. How's it going, Dylan? Have you had a good week? Man, I feel great. You do? Yeah, I really do. You're energized? Just really excited to be here. You missed our Mountain Murders listeners? I have. I do. We have missed you guys. I'm yes. glad we're back with a brand new case. Hopefully you checked out the Sheila Labar episode 81. Oh my God, what a crazy story. We had a couple of people reach out about that story and say, one, how did I not know about this? And two, that woman is insane. That's what, I said the same thing. Exactly. And I will say, I will apologize when you do listen to that. If you haven't, I say crazy, call her a crazy woman a million times. I mean, no offense to anyone dealing with mental illness, but that bitch was crazy. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I don't, I don't. When I say crazy like that, I don't mean people who are dealing with you know. I just mean in crazy monsters. Okay. So, sorry about that. <laughs> that reminds me. The other night, my son, he's twelve, and I were watching Indiana Jones. I believe it was the Temple of Doom. Oh man, it's a classic. And the Kate Capshaw character continues to like scream throughout the film. You know, it's a snake, it's a spider. Yeah. She's just like frantic, and my son looks at me and he goes. That woman is crazy. And I said, why do you think she's crazy? And he goes, she just keeps freaking out and screaming. And he's just like going on and on about her attitude or her behavior or whatever. And I said, Zane, you're going to have to get used to that. Yeah. You're going to encounter a lot of that in your adult life. That's just women. I'm just kidding. Yeah. We, we'd like to freak out. So deal with it. I'm well, surprised he's not used to it. I mean, he lives in the house with me. <laughs> Well, I'm saying that was some, some pretty extreme situations she was being put in. <laughs> but it makes me think of you, Dylan. So you can't okay. just be talking about people being crazy because now Zane thinks everyone is crazy when they're freaking out. Well, don't bring bugs and snakes around me and I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quarantine's starting to get to me a little bit. Yeah, I've noticed. We've talked about, we, we were going to try to keep that off the show and not really mention it because we know everybody has been dealing with it stressing out and it's everywhere constantly 24 7 it is it's starting to get to me but yeah just a stuck in the house groundhog day same thing over and over these kids looking at me all the time online schooling on top of <laughs> oh kids God, that's being so stuck stressful. in the house we should get paid a stipend for teaching our kids i think so because uh, it's hard it is. Not all kids are designed to sit down at a computer and just make it through the schoolwork with ease. Well, and maybe it can make us remember the teachers and the hard job they do all well, the time. Well, I know they have a hard job. Because how the hell they do that with a classroom full of people? never do this. It takes a skill. Oh you my know, my God. mom was a teacher, and I believe it was a gift. Yeah. Because I could have, I, w- I would always say I could never do what you do. Right. 26 snotty seven-year-old staring at you all day. Yeah, I know. I see I would keep it together the first day through about lunch, and at some point I was just like, then kick some bricks, dude. I don't know what the fuck to tell you, man. Yeah, Do no. something. So that's basically why I've just been high right. for like the last couple weeks. I'm not wired to be a cop or a teacher. These <sighs> things I know. Either. I'm very impatient. 
Yes. I get it sidable, and I don't know how many times they let you go out and smoke during the classroom. You don't know about that. Yeah, so that's not going to work. Oh, we have a great episode we've uploaded to our Mountain Murders Patreon. If you want to become a patron, you can sign up for as low as a dollar, but $3 is going to get you access to extra bonus content. Yes, and uh, if you come in at our highest tier there, at $10, you get Heather's extra podcast she does by herself. That's true. You've been putting a lot of stuff over there. I haven't had a chance to put a lot out this past week because kids and everything that's going on. Like, I know this but is your future, kids. I will upload two or three extra episodes as well as what Dylan and I throw together. Yeah, she drags me along by the nose, but like, I know it's your future, kids, but can I just leave me alone let me podcast? Look, Mommy just needs to drink this vodka, and you need to fuck off, okay, <laughs> for just a couple hours. Why are you still here? Yeah, I didn't know when I had birthed you, I had to see you all the time. Yeah, this is ridiculous. I don't like your face. <laughs> yeah, so here's a here's a tip. You can just keep dropping your kid off at school like it's normal, everything's normal, and coming back at three and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet they'd appreciate that. <laughs> I know, right? Because the teachers, I bet somebody is sneaking wine bladders in their purse into the damn school. Let's be honest. Oh, they're not even out of school now. They're not? The teachers aren't there. Oh, okay, there no. for a minute they were. I noticed there was some day drinking going on. They're all at home. Okay. Are you ready for today's case? Yes, let's this week's dive. Case this is, is a big one. It's very exciting and a little something out of the ordinary, but everyone has heard of this famous blood feud betwixt the Hatfields and McCoys. We have to talk about it here yeah. on Mountain Murders. Yeah, you can't talk about Appalachian true crime without at some point discussing the Hatfields and McCoys. Yes, because there's a lot of murdering going on between them two. Mere mention of their names evokes folklore, visions of lawless and unrelenting family feud, names so famous they're now part of the American lexicon. You might think of gun-toting vigilantes hell-bent on defending their kinfolk, igniting bitter grudges that would span generations. Yet many people familiar with these surnames may know little about the fated history of these two families and the legends they inspired. So who were the Hatfields and McCoys, and how did they become some of the most famous folks in Appalachia? Yeah, I think it'd be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't heard the names, right? But then when I think about it, I don't know the ins and outs or all the details. It's just kind of, you know, just a, oh, the family feuded. They live in the mountains, you know. It went on for years and years and years. I mean, that's what you get out of it. So, yeah, this is, I find this, I'm, I find this interesting already. It's a belief that both families came to America before it was even America. The Hatfields were among the first pioneers to make their way into this new land from the shores of Yorkshire in northern England. The first Hatfield was named Matthias Heathfield, and he settled in New Haven, Connecticut around 16, 1660. I will get that out eventually. But he changed the family's surname to Hatfield from Heathfield. Oh, I wonder why he didn't like that. Easier to say, maybe? The McCoys came from Scotland, but would move to Ireland before coming to the New World. The first known McCoy in America was John McCoy, who moved there with his wife and maybe his two brothers in 1732 by way of Belfast, Ireland. With a 100-acre land grant in hand, John and whatever family he was with settled in Charles County, Maryland. He died in 1760 as a very prominent landowner. You know, I wonder what the hell my ancestors did with their land. They, I know they got a chunk back then when you could just go out and stake all four corners. What the hell did what'd they do with the, the land we had? Sorry. 
Well, I know what happened to the land we had. Well, yeah. Yeah, it got sold off. Well, the Hyattsville, Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> is my family's land. And then, of course, there's land here in North Carolina. My, my, I must have come off some real trash. Maybe. I don't know. I just did my Ancestry.com during the start of this whole quarantine. Yes. And it was really interesting. And I tried to do yours, but yeah, it just sort of stopped. It just stopped. Oh, I'm sorry. I derailed the hell out of your story. I apologize. <laughs> but I do that and I'm, I apologize. But yeah, where the hell's my land? I don't know, Dylan. Somebody email me. Let me know. Somebody give him 40 acres. The first Hatfields moved to the Tug Valley region, which is where the historic feud is going to take place. And that was Ephraim Hatfield and a second wife, Anne Music, along with their 10 children in or around 1820. They came from southwestern Virginia looking for open land to settle and farm on. Now, his nickname was F of All. Due to the fact that every Hatfield in the region would be descended from him. Oh, you know, I did find that the Tug Valley was founded by a notorious madam. Oh, did yeah? You know? Yeah. That's why it's known as the Tug Valley. Hello. Coming was that home. a joke or were you being serious? That was a joke. It was funny. So stupid. His son, Valentine, was already grown by then and produced his own child, one of which was named after his father, but given the nickname Big F due to his six foot four frame, and he was about 240 pounds. So he's a big guy. That's a big dude right there. Big F's son would be William Hatfield, otherwise known as Devil Ants, and he's going to be the main character in our saga. So he's uh, at the center of it all, huh? He's the big man. The Hatfields' well-known patriarch, William Anderson Hatfield, again earns the nickname Devil Ants, becomes known as a backwoods, rough mountain dweller. By the 1870s, Devil Ants was running a successful timber business who employed dozens of men, including some of the McCoys. Well, I'd say timber was huge in, that, in this area then, probably one of the main businesses. The Hatfields were considered wealthy. Ants grew up in Logan County, West Virginia, and he was born in around 1839. William McCoy, son of John, moved with his 12 kids and wife to the Tug Valley region around 1802 to 1804. And as the children got older, they began to populate both sides of the river on the Kentucky and West Virginia sides. Now, his granddaughter was Sally McCoy, and she was going to end up marrying her cousin, the son of her great uncle, Randall McCoy or Randolph McCoy. His name has been reported both ways. Oh yeah, I guess it could go either way, but you know that whole that, that happened a lot like you've mentioned before as far as marrying your cousin or you know it's not a densely populated area by any means. And if there's only two or three four families around for 30 miles or whatever, who else, you know, who are you going to interact with? You're going to be feuding and fighting and fucking your cousin. <laughs> well, it's true. It happens. I'd say it happened all over America. Randolph, or Randall, as some people call him, his nickname is Old Randall McCoy, owned some land, about 300 acres, and some livestock. Now, the McCoys were not as wealthy as the Hatfields and were considered more on the lower middle class end of the social spectrum at that time. Both families lived along the Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River, which lies along the boundary between Kentucky and West Virginia. Being neighbors from such a rural area, both families had very complex relationships and social networks. Family loyalty was often determined not only by blood, but 
sometimes by employment and proximity. The families even intermarried and sometimes switched family loyalties even once the feud had started, which we'll go into here in a few minutes. Wow, that's got to complicate the whole thing, I would think. The first major blow in the feud came around 1865 with the murder of old Rannell's brother, Asa Harmon McCoy. And this was by the Logan Wildcats. They were a local militia group that counted devil ants and some other Hatfields as members. Many people, even members of his own family, regarded Asa Harmon kind of as a traitor. Now, he had served in the Union Army during the Civil War. And the majority of folks in this area served as Confederates or had loyalty to the Confederate Army. Yeah, I guess he's not going to be a popular guy when he comes back home. His murder came 13 days after he was released from the Union Army. So less than two weeks, the guy's home, dead. Yeah, and I bet people were talking about it before he even got killed. Most members of the Hatfield and McCoy family served for the Confederacy, as I mentioned before. Now, Asa had been wounded in the war before returning back to his home area. He was ambushed and killed. No official records or arrests have ever been issued in his murder. Devil Ants was initially considered the first suspect in the killing, but he had an alibi. At the time that Asa was murdered, Ants was home. He had been sick. However, his uncle Jim Vance was later believed to be the real killer. Oh, so it really wasn't him? It wasn't Devil Ants, but it was his uncle. He was never charged, and Asa's death certificate simply noted, killed by rebels. Wow, that's a cause of death? That's awesome. For many area folks, a Yankee sympathizer would not be missed. Well, yeah, I'm sure there there was plenty of people who felt betrayed by him serving for the North, the Union. But, I mean, it's uh, it's no one's right to them kill him for, you know, obviously. If a murder wasn't enough to divide these two families, the relationship continued to sour over the course of the next 13 years. So I wonder uh, in, in that time... I guess there would be children born that were both Hatfield and McCoy. Right. And I wonder how, it'd probably be interesting to know how the relationships and loyalties washed out with the, you know, this next generation of kids. That's very weird. What was seemingly a small incident would spark a war, an American war as we know it. That's crazy. The bloodshed would be the result of a dispute over a hog. Now, see, I have always heard that tied to the story that it, you know, started over a hog. And I think you, you from you telling me about this, is, is there's a little more to it, but it is a hog's at the heart of it. In 1878, old Ronald McCoy accused Floyd Hatfield, a cousin of Devil Ants, of stealing one of his hogs, which was a valuable commodity in the poor region. Now, a full-grown Razorback provided meat and was a huge trade chip within the economy. According to Dean King's book, The Feud, a Razorback was where their next meal was going to come from and how they could feed their children in the winter. If they were lucky enough to have one for sell or trade, the proceeds were used to acquire flour, sugar, and coffee, or sometimes shoes or boots for their families. I mean, it was a mainstay for the family. Hog stealing was a big deal. So in our modern day, we hear a pig, you know, fighting over a pig, and we we don't register how important that pig was. So even if it's not directly the meat, it can be traded off for other food staples for the winter or badly needed clothes and shoes. Because I guess you're still in a time when 
people run around all summer and spring with no shoes on, and then you get that new pair of shoes going into winter just because you got to have something on your feet. And you're just booting, new boot goofing? <laughs> yeah, you're new boot goofing. Floyd Hatfield's trial took place in McCoy territory, but was presided over by a cousin of Devil Ants, the Justice of the Peace, and his name was Anderson Hatfield. Well, shit. The star witness who gave testimony was Bill Staten, a McCoy relative married to a Hatfield. What the hell? That's crazy. Staten testified in Floyd Hatfield's favor, and the McCoys were infuriated when Floyd was cleared of the charges against him. Old Randall claimed the hog had a clipped ear, which was a mark of the McCoys that they used on their hogs and not the Hatfields. This made Old Ran so angry, he really, truly believed he had been ripped off by the Hatfields. Well, yeah, well, hell, he probably knows the pig's gone. And, you know, somebody else may have seen the, you know, confirmed they saw the pig over there on their land. And this thievery was going to be detrimental to his family. A couple of years later, which was 1880, Staten was killed by Sam and Paris McCoy, who were nephews of old Rannell. So here we go. More, more bloodshed. Sam stood trial for the murder, but was acquitted. Now, he claimed the murder was in self-defense. Shortly after Staten's murder in 1880, Jonesy Hatfield, the 18-year-old son of Devil Ants, met Rosanna McCoy, which is Randolph's daughter. According to accounts... Some people call him Jonesy. Some people call him Johnsy. Oh, got a strange name. So don't at me if I'm not pronouncing this correctly. Oh, my great great uncle, you son of a bitch, and it's Jonesy. Okay, well, Johnsy, Jonesy, whatever the hell his name is, and Rosanna were apparently smitten with each other immediately, disappearing together for hours at a time. A real Romeo and Juliet type of forbidden love. Oh my God, it's just like that because the, the two families don't like each other. Supposedly fearing retaliation from her family for falling in love with a Hatfield, Rosanna stayed at the Hatfield residence in West Virginia for a period of time. Facing her father eventually, the McCoys had John Z arrested on outstanding bootlegging warrants in Kentucky. <laughs> he was only saved when Rosanna made a dangerous ride into West Virginia to alert devil ants about his son. He arranged a rescue party which surrounded the McCoys and demanded that John Z be returned to West Virginia. Now, as you can imagine, the McCoys were not happy with Rosanna's disloyalty. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's pretty blatant there. Like a lot of young romances, it burned with hot passion until it didn't. Uh-oh. John Z was not interested in settling down and marrying Rosanna. Several months after the affair began, he abandoned the pregnant Rosanna and quickly moved on to her cousin. Oh my God, you, def- you deflowered my daughter and now you're moving on to her cousin, you son of a bitch. Leaving her pregnant, high and dry, no money, no marriage. We should start a podcast. Yeah, we've all said it. But when it comes time to make it a reality, we get stuck. Well, here's some good news. With Spreaker, all you need to start a podcast is a microphone and a good idea. Spreaker handles the recording, management, distribution, and monetization of your podcast, allowing you to focus on making a podcast. Whether you're discussing the latest moves in the tech sector or just your dating life, Spreaker gives you tools to make your podcast a hit and professional insights about who is listening and where. And as your podcast dream grows, Spreaker only becomes more useful, letting you upload and schedule multiple episodes at the same time, push to multiple platforms and customize RSS feeds. But what about making money? 
With Spreaker, monetization is as easy as checking a few boxes. So next time someone says to you, we should start a podcast, say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Yeah, I need daily life still hard about it. So it's an even bigger deal, I'd say, to leave a woman pregnant. You know, she don't have, how's she going to make it? In May of 1881, he married Nancy McCoy. Rosanna, according to Lore, was heartbroken and never quite recovered. So you can imagine the anger, shame, and feelings that old Randall McCoy held at this point. His daughter's been deflowered by this fucking Hatfield boy, gets her knocked up, leaves her, marries the cousin. So getting another family member involved, still ain't forgot about that damn hog. Yep. Yeah, this is simmering. Or his dead brother. Or his dead brother. The rivalry perpetuated until Election Day, which happened in August of 1882. Three of old Randall McCoy's sons, Tolbert, Famer, and Bud, ended up in a violent conflict with two brothers of Devil Lance. The fight soon escalated. One of the McCoy brothers stabbed Ellison Hatfield 26 times and then shot him in the back. Yeah, they said he was a, a, a large, strong man, right? Yes. So they couldn't, they couldn't take him down. Reportedly, they were all hopped up on the moonshine. So they're drunk as hell. They're going to get him. Sounds like he gave him good as he got. And I believe I, I saw a thing where he lingered for three days after his injuries. Authorities caught up to the McCoys, but the Hatfields ran interference, kidnapping the McCoys and taking them into Hatfield territory. So this, people don't even care. They're not, they, they're, they feel, it seems like they don't turn to the local authorities for anything. No, and I think when people use the term mountain justice. This is what they think of. This is what they think of. This is the true vigilante mountain justice that you've heard of. Yeah, and instead of having to round up friends or neighbors, you got a family, a big, you know, large family, and they're, here they go, you know, 15 or 20 of them. Everybody's got a damn gun, and there you, you have your own posse. Well, both sides of this family were bootleggers. They were all making moonshine, and they didn't like the government. They didn't want the overreach of the government. They didn't like authority. And that's how you get a lot of these stereotypes about mountain people. Right. Because and this is where they come from. I mean, you had these families who were just like, fuck the government. I'm not going to the police. We're going to handle this shit on our own. And that stereotype and, and that, that sentiment lives through this day, like you brought up in the our Eric Rudolph story. That's how they viewed and talked about those locals, you know. Well, that's how I feel too. But anyway, after receiving word that Ellison had died, the Hatfields bound the McCoys to some pawpaw bushes, firing more than 50 shots, pumping the brothers full of holes. Their bodies would be described as bullet-ridden, vigilante justice. You just don't play around in the mountains. Yeah, and you leave people's pigs and their daughters and their brothers alone. And I was not sure. I've heard of pawpaw bushes, but I wasn't exactly sure what that was. Looked it up. It's a fruit bush. Oh, really? What kind of fruit? They're like these little, I mean, they almost kind of look like lemons or something. Oh, like they still got tiny, those here? I guess. I'm going to look for one. Well, you say here, honey, this is in like Kentucky and West Virginia. Well, I just meant in Appalachians. Well, honey, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody up in Virginia, let us know if you got them pawpaw bushes. We're about to have a family feud right here. Okay? I'm going to squirt it in my coffee. What? It's like a lemon. You're weird. 
The Hatfields felt this was justice, but the law did not see it that way, issuing criminal indictments against 20 men, including Devil Ants and his sons. With charges looming, the Hatfields eluded arrest, leaving the McCoys seething in anger over the murders and the fact that all of these men had basically escaped justice. Yeah, it sounds like the authorities are getting fed up with this mess. It's been going on for years. It seems to be escalating. So they're like, we're going to finally round everybody up because everybody knows who's doing what. The Hatfields were free. They were out basically, you know, living in hiding almost, hiding in plain sight amongst other family members, friends, sympathizers, supporters. Yeah, and they were considered the more affluent of the two families. So they had the resources to just, you know, pop off and go, go somewhere else, hide. An attorney named Perry Klein, who was married to Martha McCoy, the widow of old Randall's brother, Asa Harmon, got involved. And the circle spins. Years earlier, Klein had lost a lawsuit against devil ants over the deed for thousands of acres of land. He wanted to see devil ants pay. Well, that's a lot of land. The Hatfields have left a sour taste in his mouth as well. So he joins up with the McCoys using his political connections to reinstate charges against the Hatfields. He announces a bounty for the arrest of the Hatfields, including Devil Ants, and really pushes authorities to make arrests. Oh, so he's gonna, he wants payback and he wants to see it served on Hatfields' ass, the Hatfields. In 1886, Jeff McCoy killed a mail carrier named Fred Wolford. Cap Hatfield was acting as constable. He and a friend, Tom Wallace, captured Jeff McCoy on the banks of Tug Fork and shot him. In the spring of 1887, Tom Wallace was found dead. So, I don't, at what point do you, this is like inner city gang violence. I mean, you kill one of my people, now I'm going to, you know I'm going to kill you one of your people and then you're going to come back. I mean, it's just, this is an, you know, a continuous cycle. That's just never going to stop. It's taking an eye for an eye to the extreme. They don't even give a damn either. They don't. The feud made headlines in 1887. Newspapers would recount the Hatfields as violent backwoods hillbillies who roamed the mountains dripping with bloodlust. The sensationalist news stories planted firmly the legend that would become the Hatfields and McCoys. So, yeah, earlier you were telling me that they were in the newspapers right beside Jack the Ripper. You got the Hatfield-McCoy story. I mean, that's how much, yeah, how big a deal Yeah, for headlines with yeah. Jack the Ripper. This was a mainstay of national news. And really... It painted this whole idea that the mountain folk were people who needed fixing. Yeah, and so you had the railroads and various other industries wanting to get into... Capitalism. Capitalism wanted to get into these areas for the resources, for the other, you know, the customers, if you will. And uh, so, yeah, so it's almost like they acted in concert, the media, with big business to create this... Look at this pocket of ignorant people. There's you, something wrong with them. Yeah, we know what they need is the railroad. hillbillies. Mountain folks are this type of way. And it just perpetuates this notion that we see even today that hillbilly types, our people are still constantly made fun of. And we're like the only group in America that it's not, it has not become politically incorrect to make fun of. No. You can still make fun of mountain people. You can still make fun of hillbillies. 
That's true. If you talk that same way or spoke that way about other groups. Oh, my God. Yeah, can you imagine? But you can still make fun of us. And That's it comes, some bullshit. And it stems from this. And you know what? I'll get my damn, my sick shooter, and I'll come and I'll kill your dad, and then you can come kill my dad, and I'll just keep on. We were even watching a CBS Morning report on the anniversary of the Hatfields and McCoys, and this was like a fairly new modern news report. It was like 2013. And the anchor was t- like, oh, let's talk about these hillbillies. Yeah, he just threw it out there with a big, a big old smile on his face. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh. And then, you know, the guy, the correspondent out, you know, actually in the Appalachians was just like, you know, he had like his little North Face vest on and stuff. And he's just like, you know, I was expecting that news, the anchor, anchor man to be like, oh, dude. So when did they get electricity out yeah. there? Hi, Dylan. I know you're reporting from the field. This is Heather Hyatt-Packer here in the newsroom. So tell us. Tell us about the hillbillies. Do they have teeth, Dylan? Uh, Well, Heather, I I must admit this has been a harrowing journey making my way here to the Appalachians. There are uh, no roads. We've been walking for days through the woods. And um, just it's very scary out here. Very, very scary environment. Tell me, Dylan, are you wearing a white vest to indicate that you're a peaceful person, that you're not like a revenuer coming to take them in? Yes, uh, yes. I do do not use the word revenuer because they do not like the government and they don't wait for authorities. They take care of stuff themselves. They're, they're dripping with bloodlust. They all have guns. Tell me, Dylan, while you've been there, have you happened to witness any marital relations between cousins? All the marital relations I've witnessed are only between cousins. That's the only option here. It's cousin loving, cousin loving lanes where I'm coming to you from. Cousin loving lane. Yes. Dylan, you must tell me while you're there, do you believe that you might marry your cousin or tell, tell, tell us more? Well, I must admit here, I know we're alive, but I must admit that I did fuck my cousin once I got here because that's just how it goes. Thank you so much. I know that you are definitely experiencing something totally out of the norm just by being in Appalachia, since it is definitely like a completely different planet. Uh, yes. Have you heard of this drink, Mountain Dew? I have not, Dylan. Yes, yes, it's a it's a soda beverage. It's very sugary, lots okay. of caffeine. Well, if you're interested in hearing more about Mountain Dew, you can tune in at 11 p.m. We'll have the full story right here on WWWF. Fuck you, we're making fun of Hillbillies News Radio. This news report brought to you by Mountain Dew. Fuck your teeth. Drink more. Sponsored by your <laughs> local meth dealer. <laughs> Huh. Anyway, yeah, so that was basically the news report. Yeah, that and was And I was crazy. like, how is this even okay? But we it can, is. We can have news reports like this. But, I, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's like, a, yeah. Well, can you I'm imagine not... if people were making fun of, like, Bostonians in this way or? I have so many news reports, stereotypical news reports in my head right now that, like, it would be like, but I can't say them of them out loud, but it would not be acceptable. I can tell you that. Okay, enough improv. Let's get back to this. So we've got the the story-making headlines. Yes, it, and it was uh, back then they were uh, known to use yellow journalism, right? Right. It's more like uh, you get the facts of the story. It's like tabloid journalism. You have, yes, it very much is. And um, and those who are aware of you know their history lessons know that like William Randolph Hearst and was Pulitzer. the big proponent of the yellow journalism. Yes, he was. And they loved these stories. That's where you get the if it bleeds, it leads. It is. 
idea in news. They wanted sensational, over the top. It didn't matter so much about facts. No. They just wanted the salacious headlines that were going to sell newspapers. Yes, you had a mixture of fact and fiction in a lot of these supposed, you know, front page stories. Happened in Cuba. I mean, they did a lot. And a lot of these articles from that time discussing this feud between the Hatfields and McCoys, a lot of the information is not factual. It's not correct. They just, it's like you got their last names right, and then the rest of it is fiction. It's like fan fiction. It's totally made up. Sensationalized to put them in the most the worst light. You know, just these maniac Ignorant people, you know, savages, savages, barbarians, brutality. I mean, basically, they were acting as though these two families were throwing mortars across the river at each other. Yeah, like there's like literally nonstop. some lines of walls and they had trenches and, and, and foxholes and yeah. no man's land between the two. Right. And most of these incidences like took place over some decades. Right. There'd be years between incidents. But they were trying to make it out like every day was being in Fallujah. Yeah, like they're drinking their coffee, looking across at each other like North and South Korea do across the demilitarized zone. I see you over there, you son of a bitch. And damned old Hatfield, I believe you fucked my wife last night. I think the devil ants has gone on a new hat. And you know what? I can't afford me no new hat. Fuck that guy. My hat's old and got a hole in it. I'm going to shoot him. The Hatfields quickly learned of the bounties on their heads. In an effort to see victory once and for all, a group of the Hatfields and their friends planned a surprise ambush on old Randall McCoy and his family. So they've had enough. We're going to get them damned old Hatfields once and for all. This takes place New Year's Day in 1888. And of course, a lot of moonshine involved. Imagine that. Drinking on New Year's Eve, heading into New Year's Day. So in the wee morning hours, Devil Ansa's son, Cap, and Jim Vance, along with a group of Hatfields, charge the McCoys home in this strategically plotted sort of combat-style blitz attack. So, damn, that's wild. They attack the McCoy family when they're sleeping. Oh, that's cowardly. Old Randall fled, escaping into the woods. His son Calvin and daughter Alifair were killed in the crossfire. His wife Sarah was left badly beaten by the Hatfields, suffering a crushed skull. So all they managed to do is kill some kids and beat a woman. Their cabin was set ablaze. Old Randall and the surviving relatives had to hide out in the woods. The McCoys were not prepared to battle the elements. This is winter. It's cold. They don't have any supplies. They don't have a lot of money. Yeah, you don't run to a hotel in these days. When you, your home is everything. Some of the McCoy children suffered frostbite during this time. The McCoys finally made their way to Pikeville, Kentucky to flee the raiding parties. So they're just on the run for their lives. Yes. At this point. This event would be called the New Year's Massacre. A bounty hunter named Frank Phillips formed a posse which chased down Jim Vance and Cap Hatfield Killing Vance. So they've had enough. They're going to damn put an end to this shit. Phillips rounded up nine Hatfield family members and supporters and put them in jail, but not before killing three of the Hatfields. Well, I'd say they were fighting back, I'm guessing. A final battle occurred in Grapevine Creek. Ants and other Hatfields were waiting with an armed group of their own. A battle ensued in which the arrests were finally made. So years of legal battles ensued in this Hatfield case, eventually moving all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, 
which resolved that the Hatfields could be tried. Wow. Why'd I have to go all the way to the Supreme Court? They kept appealing and making a fuss that there weren't legal grounds to this. And they had a little bit of money to throw they behind it. They were fighting it. Yeah. It spanned all these years. The McCoys, they argued, were equally as responsible. I wonder how long the damn newspapers ran this and made money off of this story. Between 1880 and 1891, the war claimed more than a dozen lives from both families. At one point, the governors of each state, Kentucky and West Virginia, threatened to have their militias invade the other state in order to end the conflict and make arrests. Oh my God. Damn. The trial began in 1889. Eight members of the Hatfield family and their loyal supporters were sentenced to life in prison. Ellison Mounts, who was believed to be the son of Ellison Hatfield, was sentenced to death. They called him Cotton Top, and he was kind of known to be mentally challenged, and many viewed him as a scapegoat. Why is he the one that got death? But he confessed to his role in the crimes. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to throw it out there. They probably just basically coerced him and made him tell, maybe. Or maybe told the truth as he knew it. Public executions were against the law at this time in Kentucky, but thousands of spectators gathered to witness the hanging of Ellison Mounts, which took place February 18, 1890. Reports claim that his last words were, They made me do it. The Hatfields made me do it. Damn, so even in death, his last words is talking shit about the other family. Before him, no one had been sent to the gallows for 40 years. Well, that's not a good thing to be famous for. The hanging site is currently located in a classroom at the University of Pikeville. Oh, so they... Oh. Built, they built a university on top of the hanging site. Okay, that's what I was going to say. I didn't, or I didn't know if they had like a diatrobe. Is that right? You know, big scene. Picked Me up the tree and moved it. Got the rope. Got some people standing over there watching over it. I really have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> me neither. You are so fucking weird. Why don't you just shut up? I'll, let me finish this. Yes, story. ma'am. God. Oh, gosh. <sighs> Sent to prison were Valentine Hatfield, Anse's older brother. He died in prison of unknown causes. Doc Mahon, son-in-law of Valentine, served 14 years in prison for his role. Pileant Mason, which is a son-in-law of Valentine, was sentenced to 14 years. Rosanna McCoy died in 1889. She was believed to be around 29 or 30 years old. She died of natural causes. The last trial was in 1901, and that is Jonesy or Johnsy Hatfield. You better say it right. He was found guilty of murder and served 13 years in prison. In a twist of fate, Johnsy's wife, Nancy McCoy, divorced him and married Frank Phillips, the special officer appointed by the governor of Kentucky to arrest the Hatfields. Johnsy would later be pardoned after he saved the life of Lieutenant Governor William Pryor Thorne. Thorne was at the prison for an inspection and was attacked by an inmate. Johnsy slit the throat of the inmate, thereby saving the Lieutenant Governor's life. That's got to be the most incredible pardon, government pardon, or governor pardon story I've ever heard. He died in 1931. Now, as the feud faded, both family leaders attempted to recede into relative obscurity. Old Randall McCoy became a ferry operator. McCoy died on March 28, 1914 in Pike County, Kentucky. He had been living with his grandson because he had become senile. 
He had fallen into a cooking fire and sustained major burns that eventually led to his death. He was buried in Dill's Cemetery, Pike County, Kentucky, beside his wife. Now, by all accounts, he continued to be haunted by the deaths of his children. Of his 17 children, five perished in the feud. Well, damn, I don't blame him. Who, who wouldn't be haunted by that? Devil Anse Hatfield became a born-again Christian later in life, finally getting baptized at age 73. He went on to found a Church of Christ congregation in West Virginia. He was an uncle of the eventual governor of West Virginia and United States Senator Henry D. Hatfield. Hatfield ended up dying in 1921. Now, the family members met on June 13, 2003 and signed a peace agreement, although the feud had ended 100 years before. That's pretty funny. The McCoy Home Place is open for tourism now, and every September there is a Hatfield McCoy Heritage Day in Pike County, Kentucky. So they have like a big festival. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's such a, that was such a big story and talked about, so, and it did carry on for many, many years, which is pretty amazing. It really did. And if you're further interested, you want to find out more about the Hatfields and McCoys, there was a mini series made for television. I believe it was A&E that produced it, perhaps, but it was Kevin Costner and Bill Paxton. Yeah, I heard good things about that. It was great. It's very informative. I mean, of course, some of it is fictionalized, but it follows the story pretty closely. It's so interesting. And you get to kind of see how the relationships play out, like in real time. Oh, yeah. Between the like the ones who married each other and such? Yes. Oh, wow. That's pretty wild. And how one cousin marries, this one switches sides. You know, it just kind of adds fuel to the fire. You know what the uh, surviving family descendants should do uh, of should, both families? What should they do? They should bring the feud back, but in like the modern day. They've actually, so, there was an appearance on the Family Feud game show. Oh, well, that's stupid. Where they, the Hatfield and the McCoy family like played each against each other on Family Feud. I'm talking Facebook, fight, Facebook fights and uh, like posting nudes, like when you marry the cousin. Like, you know, and then y'all have a problem, then you post nudes. But I keep posting nudes of my little, put her nudes on the damn Facebook. I'm going to shoot them. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm talking about the modern day. Look. No, I get it. But you go off on these tangents that me, and I know it's not just me, but our listeners too are probably sitting in their car or they're on the treadmill and they're like, what the fuck is Dylan talking about? And I don't know, y'all. I can't. Keep him on track. He is so all over the place. <laughs> I thought we were done with the story. This finishes is... a complete thought. So I don't know what he's talking about exactly. There is two people out there right now that might know, and I'm not trying to. De- I'm not even trying to derail anything because you delivered it through my derailment. Okay, so you're saying they could have a modern day Facebook fight involving some revenge porn? Yes, that's what the, the now the, the the excitement here is viewing how the feud would change from the 1800s into the modern day. It would be so it'd be stupid online shit nowadays instead of guns. Wouldn't that be wild? So you're saying you would prefer if it were the guns and not the stupid stupid modern shit? <laughs> oh my god, you're like it's like I'm on the damn news show right now. You're trying to put words in my mouth. No, I wouldn't prefer anyone to get hurt. I wouldn't want to put anything in your mouth. I just want you to be quiet. Okay. Get somewhere and get still. Well, yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> Here is the story of the Hatfield. Yeah. See, you've got me all fucked up, Dylan. That's right. This is the story of the Hatfields and McCoys. 
tried to break it down as simply as possible, but give you guys a little background on this very famous feud. Because I think for most of us, we've heard the name, but you might not know all the details. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I didn't know any of those details, except that about the pig. You've been listening to Mountain Murders. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Acast, Spreaker, just about anywhere you find podcasts. I think she's going to smack me, guys. You can find us on Patreon if you are so inclined. Look for Mountain Murders and access bonus content. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and get more Appalachian True Crime. I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, myhealthpolicy.com.